Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You're listening to By the Well, a lectionary-based podcast for preachers recorded on the land of the Wurundjeri people. Hello everyone, I'm Kylie Crabb. And I'm Rachel Kronberger. It's our joy to be with you as we discuss the readings for the 22nd Sunday after Pentecost. Today we will be talking about Deuteronomy chapter 34 verses 1 to 12 and Matthew 22 verses 34 to 46. Kylie Deuteronomy chapter 34, it takes us to the end of a story we've been reading through for about three months now about Moses. Yes, and it, and it is the, uh, well, it is the end of Moses at this point, right? We've, it's, it's his the, actual death. It's his actual death and it is the, um, you know, it's, it's the literary and geographical kind of pinnacle high point of the story because, of course, he's on a mountain and, and looking looking out um, at this uh, at this moment um, as things draw to a close for him. Yeah, that's right. So we've been with Moses since he was born. We've journeyed through his whole life. It's been a very dramatic story, and Moses has been the person uh, who has not only led the people through um, through their liberation from slavery and through their journey in the wilderness, but has also led them in their relationship with God and their formation of a. Cu- of themselves as a covenant people in covenant with God in honour of the promises to Abraham um, way back when. Yes, yes. And he's had his kind of mixed moments and oh, yeah. whatnot along the way. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Uh, and, of course, there is the, the tradition, of course, as though the first five books here um, are the, the Torah, the Pentateuch, are written by Moses, but one of the things that's it's interesting here, in addition to the kind of um, you know Deuteronomy is often kind of rewriting bits that we get elsewhere in those five books and and whatnot. There's this lovely tradition of rewriting stories that all um, interact within our our biblical canon. But here, of course, we have the story of Moses's death being narrated. So this bit is clearly not even uh, pretending to be. You know, it's clearly not even being portrayed as. Um, written by Moses at this point, um, but we we hear from him about, um, what well, we hear in the story about this moment. That's right. And so as anyone who's ever started on a grand project will know, it's a very, very painful thing to not see the end of your project. And um, today's passage is not only Moses' death, but... Um, but an acknowledgement of uh, of the struggle that uh, we imagine it must have been for him to not see the people through to the end of their journey. Mm. Yeah, it's an interesting thing, right? It's actually a transition to new leadership. Yeah. In fact, in the in the context of the story, and so there is something important. Of course, it is put in um, a wider. Th- theological frame where there is um, uh, part of the story about um, Moses not being made able to to get to this final stage, to actually make it to the promised land, but he is made able to see um, something of where they're going. Though uh, 
Rachel, how much would he actually have been able to see? What's he really seeing here? Well, contemporary reports are that from the top of Mount Nebo, very little is visible. Yes. That's a very hazy horizon. And uh, certainly all the list of places, Gilead, as far as Dan, all Naphtali, the land of Ephraim and and Manasseh, it's highly unlikely that Moses, even with, uh, what does it say, his sight was unimpaired. Even with unimpaired sight, it's highly unlikely he would have been able to see. But what he has shown is God's promise um, and God's assurance to him that God's promise um, and God's journey with the people will continue even though Moses' human life is coming to an end. Yeah. Yeah, and I reckon we're going to come back to some of those things about his vision and and all of these things at this stage. Uh, but just uh, sitting then with the you know he, the what is described as this extent of this uh, enormous swathe of land, and we have here as we're saying you know there's this transition in leadership of the the particular humans who have been leading the people of God through all of these ups and downs. Um, but of course, the story that has undergirded uh, that traveling has been the story of going to the promised land That's and right. God's promise of that. Which, um, I mean, Rachel, as we sit here thinking about that um, that part of the world, um, it, it's really on my heart, at, on both our hearts, as we think about this. That's right. Um, we're we're recording this in advance in order for you to p- be preparing your worship. Um, so we don't know when you listen to this what will be going on, but at the moment our news feeds are full of um, horrific violence and suffering um, as this idea of the promised land continues to be uh, an enormous struggle for the people who have inherited it and who live on it. Yeah. So we're thinking about that, thinking um, as no doubt you all will be too, um as you're listening on with this and wondering how to talk about this in worship, but but thinking about the just um, the sensitivity that is required in thinking not not using this as um, as as purely uh, biblical imagery that is uh, somehow metaphorical or distant from contemporary experience, but pe- knowing that the people in our congregations are going to be seeing this same uh, news feed, this same uh, horrific imagery. Um, escalating conflict uh, in the Middle East and um, and thinking of Israel-Palestine at this kind of time. So just um, however we do that um, to, uh, yeah, we're, we're thinking of all of you as you try and uh, do that too and think about how to sensitively talk about these passages. And at the very least acknowledge um, either yeah. when you're introducing the theme or as you support um, those who are preparing prayers of the people mm. for your worship to um, to frame frame our longing for for peace and hope to prevail. Mm. Just jumping off from that then briefly, Rachel, thinking about the words from the psalm that we began yeah. with, which was from Psalm 90 verses uh, 1 and 2. 1 yeah. and 2 in the lectionary. Uh, if you take the whole section, then it's verses 1 to 6 and then 13 to 17. Always worth checking the bits that are cut out. There's quite a bit of wrath and whatnot that's cut out there that's worth having a little think about as well. But just just thinking about um, how that how that psalm might be good company in in, in this Look, the the people of ancient Israel um, had only really fairly limited periods of um, peace and settledness 
in their homeland, in their promised land. Um, they were heavily impacted by um, conflict with surrounding groups and the assurance of God was that God was with them, um, that God's God's presence was not location dependent, yeah. that um, that God in God's self is is the dwelling place mm. of the people of God and um, and that God was present before the mountains, even Mount Nebo was brought forth and um, and God uh, is from everlasting to everlasting and um, and whatever human circumstances we're dealing with, uh, God who is beyond us is with us. Mm. In our real places of our lives. And That's right. Yes, yeah. So uh, that might be an interesting thing to to think about dwelling places as we think also of um, yeah all all of the other tension at the heart of this uh, really culmination of a whole long narrative that's about land and conflict in in uh, the the story of the Pentateuch really. Um, so then we're thinking. So Moses, though, is so that's the overarching story that is part so of this. So what do you God's say guidance. at the funeral of a person like Moses, yeah. Kylie? <laughs> <laughs> well, it turns out you say things. Like, how do you eulogize? How do yeah, you yeah. how do you capture a, a person who has been larger than life? Has yeah. not only led this community, but overseen. Uh, changes in history and um, and a journey that will mark will will change people's lives. That we're st- a story that we're still telling three thousand years later. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, and uh, I mean, certainly you say uh, nice and kind things about them, according to the writer of Deuteronomy. Here, um, uh, it's interesting to me. I have to say uh, that this is my own particular beef. I know, but it's interesting to me to look at what does get said when you're wanting to say something about a character being idealized. Um, and we should remember that, um, you know, in um, in antiquity, in various kind of, you know subcultural groups within antiquity, there is quite a trend of talking about people's physical attributes as a way of describing their character. Mm. The whole set, you know, there are genres of writing that are about doing this, saying, you know, people with weak ankles are like this and people who are like, you know. And standing tall and um, there's a lot of uh, commentary about people's neck. Yes. uh, Stiff necks and, um, you know, heads that won't turn Yes, as well. Exactly. There's this whole kind of thing that it's it's sort of like a – like a form of phrenology or something where you can see the shape of someone's head and then make a claim about their character. But it's very widespread. So we we have this, you know, we, this is the story we get about Moses, that his um, his sight was not impaired or his, his vigour and his vigour was unabated, um, even though he was, you know, very elderly. And 120. Mm. Yeah, right, yes. Well, he's doing doing well there isn't he but um i mean this is this is not i mean maybe it also helps the story at this point to be able to say he's got a clear vision because he's looking out from this um elevated uh position on the mountaintop and looking looking down to see so there's a claim at work there but i mean it is nonetheless making a claim i think through through this about what um what it means to uh to be fulfilling an ideal and i i would want to wonder about this in worship and think you know how does this how does this sound as we think about um healthy ways of aging i mean obviously it's a different kettle of fish we have all these kind of very 
very miraculously elderly people in um, in the these stories in the early part of the Hebrew Bible. But you know, like, how does this sound to someone in your congregation? We're talking about this, um, you know, this picture of of aging. If you're you know struggling to stand for the call to worship or to kneel for some prayers or to you know like um, mm. to to think about. Um, what we're communicating here and why is this important to the writer of Deuteronomy and what's important to us when we think yeah. about idealising um, and remembering people. It's also kind of ironic to me because elsewhere in um, Moses's story we will have heard things about him having a speech impediment and various other things where he's not, he's not always meeting the cultural ideal um, of, of you know bodily integrity and and whatnot so so that's that's interesting to me as well I think yes and um, it's quite common in the Hebrew Bible as well for sight in particular to be to be loaded with yes. um, double meaning and um, and we read about that at the beginning of the book of uh, first Samuel with Eli and uh, his eyesight fading as as visions in Israel are diminishing and um, and so we begin this story with Moses seeing a view not only of the landscape but of God's promise a vision of God's promise and um, and his his vision was his um, in the sense of his wisdom oh, and his yeah, perception yeah. of of yep. God's activity yep. that vision was unimpaired um and it may or may not be a comment comment on his um on his physical <laughs> eyesight yeah maybe but, it's, yeah, but, yeah. It's, but the double the the um it's not clear the um and I think we need to be careful about how we use that stuff metaphorically right? extremely so careful yeah yeah, yeah. I'm wondering about that. So I think I think that that is something worth uh, before we, uh, you know, there's doing a bit of hero talk here mm. at this at the end of Moses's life and uh, uh, reworking some things like the um, Deuteronomist likes to. So you know, thinking it, thinking with that as well about what that means. It's also interesting to me that as it carries on, it talks about um, you know that uh, he is the prophet. Uh, who, like no one else who has arisen since. Mm. So we're getting this. I mean, it's clear that this is some a long time, time after. Yeah, yep. that's right. That's, this is part of the hint here. But the prophet who knew the Lord face to face, like no one has since. But last week's reading, we read that Moses couldn't meet the Lord face to face and had to hide in the cleft of a rock while the Lord passed behind him and put his hand on his back to cover him and protect him mm. from from seeing the Lord face to face. So yeah. it's um, hyperbolic, uh, effusive, um, excited acknowledgement of a wonderful hero and leader, but yeah. not not an historical account of Moses' yeah. Yeah, experience yeah. or certainly not, um, not a what's and all historical yes. account. Yes, yeah. that's right. So is there anything that jumps out at you that you would kind of at this point be thinking, you know, I'd highlight that in my preaching or my worship preparation or something? Um, it's interesting. I think the church is in an interesting place thinking about the future and certainly in the Uniting Church we're thinking a lot about um, the future and planning for the future at the moment. And if you're a Uniting Church listener, you might want to um, think about introducing your congregation to Act 2 at um, 
at this point uh, and talk about uh, Acts what it, two as in the church process, the church not the, um, report. Oh, there's a nice little double the, meaning that with is, uh, it's the intended book of Acts a, two. an yes, intended right. double meaning. Yeah, um, the report like the that's assembly. known as as yep. the Act two, yep. um, and to consider what it means to uh, let go of some things that we thought we would see through to completion and develop a vision for um, for what is as yet unknown and unseeable yeah. um, and to uh, find ways of celebrating um, uh, things of the past in our communities and um, and find ways of letting them go and and mourning them uh, seems that there's an opportunity here to to preach into transitions in community life yeah. Yeah, yeah, beautiful. And that kind of real um, acknowledgement of the good work that's been done that has got, you know, like that um, celebration of Moses at this point, though they're not yet at the, the place they were promised to, to go. Yeah. That's right. And yeah. expecting that God who is um, from everlasting to everlasting is, is beyond um, even what's going on in our, in our immediate lives, um, although with us as always. Sounds like some great reflection in your congregation this uh, on this week. Uh, folks, we'll come back in a moment to talk about Matthew 22, 34 to 46. So here we're carrying on with this set of uh, readings in Matthew's Gospel where there is some conflict, people coming to Jesus and hassling him about something. So... Um, last week uh, we were talking about the the famous render unto Caesar bit. Then there was a further conflict in Matthew's in the story of Matthew's gospel, which the lectionary skips um, about the conflict over the resurrection with the Sadducees. And then we've got sort of uh, stories three and four, like the the last two of this block of of conflict stories. And in Matthew's week, yeah, in, sorry, Kylie, in Matthew's gospel where. Um, we're getting very, very close now to Jesus' um, betrayal and suffering and death. This is a, a point of highly escalated tension. Yes, indeed. So what's going to happen then in this bit of conflict? How are we getting tripped up today? Well, the uh, religious leaders with whom Jesus has been in conversation all through this section of Matthew's Gospel Ask him a question to test him which commandment in the law is the greatest. Mm. It's, a, um, it's a question that to which there is on the surface no correct answer because the whole of the law is God's gift. And as we read a few weeks ago in Psalm 19, is sweeter than honey. Yes, yes. That's right. And yet there is this kind of tradition of trying to summarise the law or have like sort of golden rules or, you know, guiding principles. So Jesus responds with that, with the, you know, the love of God, but then ties a second one to it as well, yeah? That's right. Yeah, You shall love your neighbour as yourself. Beautiful. Yes. And then the claim that it's actually these two commandments on which hang all the law and the prophets. Um. So I think, I mean, this will be a very familiar story to people that we'll, we'll get in due course to the, the next conflict as well. But, you know, this uh, thinking first about this one, um, one of the things that often um, 
can be a debate in Christian theology, I guess, is this question about whether um, we're talking about, uh, it's what John Barclay calls a one-way gift. Yeah, so we're talking about, um, uh, you know, we're the divine grace is one way definitely and we have this debate about what are the biblical expectations of some kind of return uh do you think like when jesus says only invite to dinner those people who cannot possibly invite you back yes yes exactly so that's a so that's a kind of horizontal thing between people but this sense of of yeah the lack of reciprocity yeah yeah so and then sometimes you will you'll know and this reading i think is um uh, maybe in in our minds in a similar kind of vein to the um, uh, we have like you know the love of enemies which is then coupled with uh, do unto others as you would have them do to you so sometimes people talk about that's a problem because it seems to these readings which are about um, uh, loving your neighbor as yourself or doing to others as you would have them do to you seem like they reintroduce this idea of reciprocity kind which, of a quid pro quo yes yeah. yes that's the right word um, which is um, different from loving enemies, you know. It's even, uh, you know, anybody can love your friends who loves enemies. However, what I think is quite important to think about this is that none of these things are actually inviting um, uh, – they're, they're not exactly reciprocal, actually, because the idea of doing to someone else as you would have them do to you is not do to someone else so that they do the same thing back to you. It's putting yourself in the shoes of the other person to work out what it would mean to to be treating one another in a way that is like what we hope, how we would hope to be treated, mm. not so that they'll do it back, but just because that's the right way to treat others. That's right. And so we get the same thing, I think, here where it's it's actually has the appearance of a kind of reciprocity, a back a back and forth, but it's it's not. It's actually inviting us into this um, mysterious thing of thinking about um, how d- how can we love neighbours in very practical ways as well as we love ourselves. Mm. Is this, uh, I mean, it, it, it seems to me, Rachel, that this is something that is a perennial conflict for us. Oh, absolutely. And I think the, um, the human condition is skewed towards a, a certain self-focus and, um, and this flings open wide a very other focused, first of all, an other focused on God yep. that, um, and loving God with all the heart and soul and mind. It's pretty comprehensive. Yes. Um, and then loving neighbour. And that's, there's no um, – the as yourself thing, I think, um, it doesn't devalue the self no. but lifts the other into a, um, a realm of, I guess, equal value with, with mm. the self and, um, and how we spend our lives concerned with our – own needs and our own feelings and our own responses and what does it mean to equally value somebody else's needs and feelings and responses. Mm. Mm. And I think, uh, you know, pastorally and in a whole lot of settings we're aware of what happens when that dynamic gets out of kilter, yeah. I guess, you know, uh, in both directions. That's right. The the failure to um, to love self can be just as destructive. So Generations of women in particular have been taught to devalue themselves in this mix um, which is not not been helpful for them or for others 
Yes, that's right. And and um and I guess that this is the other thing that is this kind of I mean interesting thing to reflect on that it's immediately tied anyway to the love of God. So mm. in fact, it's that relationship with the divine that helps to so it's the triangle part that helps to keep things in in the right mix between how we're, how we're loving ourselves and how we're loving neighbor. Keeping that together is something that I I think the um sense of relationship with God can can bring into balance. Yes. And it's um but it's interesting here that Jesus teaches not only that this is the greatest commandment or that there um the greatest and first and then the greatest and second yes, commandments yes, yes. but that on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So um great scholars among us from uh, St. Augustine through to our own Robin Whittaker yes. have um, commented on the importance of taking this part incredibly seriously and saying, let these be a guide to our reading of scripture. Let these be um, the lens through which we search for a word of life in, in the scriptures and let these be a, a gift to us, these two commandments um, yes. as Beautiful. we search search for um, for a word of God in the in the power of the Spirit. Yes, and we'll put in the show notes a link to Robin's book, Even the Devil Quotes Scripture, that that uses that uh, hermeneutic of love, that lens of love to to read Scripture. That's right. That's I think it would yeah. be a great opportunity to introduce that to your people yeah. this week. Yes, it's very accessible and good to read. Uh, and then just to briefly that this this next and final conflict uh, narrative it actually involves in a funny way Jesus ends up being the one to pose the question back here um, and it's a question about what kind of Messiah that we're looking for here or what kind of Messiah in fact the the Pharisees who've come to Jesus and thinking what we said last week too about the way we read the Pharisees as the antagonizing characters not a claim about historical um, groups within within the um, uh, first century world um, but you know we get this kind of um, link back actually to Psalm 110 we're talking about this this tension that Jesus is trying to pull out this little conundrum about how can uh, David who is is inserted into that because there's assumption that David is the writer of the psalm um, how can David talk about um, uh, this idea that the Lord said to my Lord uh, sit at my right hand until I put enemies under your feet. So if David calls him Lord, how can be he be his son? This is the question that Jesus asks that puts everybody into silence. That's right. No one was able to give him an answer, nor from that day did anyone dare to ask him any more questions. Yeah, as a, so as a conversation ender. Yeah. So, I mean, we might look at that and go, that's because it's kind of complicated and no one knows what he's talking about. But I think what we're, what we're really getting here is something that goes to the heart of Jesus's identity and this the understanding of uh, the kind of messianic expectation here that about whether we've got this, um, this sort of Davidic, um, like in the style of David, military kind of Messiah or something different that's going on with Jesus here. Mm. In fact, Jesus as the son of God, not the son of David. Yeah. Um, and in fact, as we've known throughout Matthew's gospel from the from the beginning in his infancy and at the very end in Matthew 28, Jesus is actually Emmanuel, God with us. Yes, yeah, that's right. And um, 
And that's a wonderful note of hope on which to end. Yes. Beautiful. is with us, Emmanuel. Indeed. Thanks, Rachel. Great to speak with you. And with you, Kylie. Great to um, have you all with us today too. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to know more about By The Well or any of our hosts, please visit bythewell.com.au. By The Well is brought to you by Pilgrim Theological College and the Uniting Church in Australia. It's produced by Adrian Jackson. Thanks for listening.